When someone walks into your office or wherever you happen to work and interrupts your task at hand for the sake of conversation, how do you react? Do you view that person as an interruption or an opportunity? Does your face brighten as your people antenna powers up? Or do you grimace inside at this interruption? If you relax and converse until the chat has natural closure, you're obviously a people person. But if you press to squirm your way out of the conversation with the bombardment of verbal and nonverbal clues, then you are one of us, the dreadful Taipei's. If a person's gut-level instinct in that situation is to get back to the task at hand at any cost, it's safe to say and to assume that he or she is task-oriented. This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking your leadership skills to the next level. Whether you are a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember, leaders make things happen. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to this podcast. As I've mentioned to you before, occasionally I want to share with you some of the content of my bestseller, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make. And today we want to look at putting paperwork before people work. I remember when I first started thinking about these concepts, we didn't have as much technology coming at us as we do today. We used to just fight mounds and mounds of what I call UPOs, unidentified piled objects on our desks. Uh, you know, some people are clean, neat nicks, some people are messy. That doesn't really indicate how productive you are, but we all fight the battle of paperwork. And the higher you go in leadership, the more people work is important. And today we have the added problem of all the technology that's coming at us. Everything from the internet to instant messages to Facebook to Instagram to email to text messages, it's all just bombarding us right on our smartphone, which is very convenient, but it also can take us away and distract us from the essence of people work. And leadership is about people work. So listen in as we look at chapter two, putting paperwork before people work. And the top 10 mistakes leaders make chapter two putting paperwork before people work confessions of a type a personality the greater the leadership role the less time there seems to be for people the greater the leadership role the more important people work is people are opportunities not interruptions only through association is their transformation not long ago, the phone companies of Southern California were forced to add yet another area code in Los Angeles. One PR firm offered this explanation. All the car phones called the answering machines, which dialed into voicemail, then transmitted by modem to beep the PDAs that forwarded the calls via email to fax the message heard around Los Angeles, quote, let's do lunch. All task-oriented type A personalities must learn to slow down and allow people into their lives. It may seem necessary for most of us to pack a full schedule and keep up with emails, phone calls, and text messages, but we will only impact people spiritually and permanently by one-on-one -on -one contact that can't be substituted. In this age of telecommunications and teleconnecting, there is still no substitute for quiet, prolonged exposure of one soul to another. I'm of German descent and therefore tend to be task-oriented. Since I find myself in leadership roles, I often think about how my heritage affects my leadership ability. 
Is it an unfair generalization to say that all Germans are task-oriented? Well, think about any German you know. Do they tend to be perfectionists, accomplishers of great deeds, workaholics who rarely relax and generally rigid in relationship? Probably. Sure, there are exceptions, but not among the many Germans I've known. My beautiful, relationship-oriented wife is always crying out to me, Hans, stop! Can't you just sit down for an hour and do nothing? Could we just talk? That's extremely hard for me to do, to do nothing. I guess deep down in my task-oriented nature, I see talking is not really accomplishing that much. So I tend toward being an impatient conversationalist. That is, unless I'm in a deep discussion that is driving me toward the accomplishment of a task, or unless I'm in a situation in which I cannot immediately get to my work, and therefore I have some downtime. When we go camping, I tend to spend my time tinkering with the equipment instead of just relaxing, which I think someone told me was the actual goal of this pastime. Even on Saturdays when I have a day off, I love making a list of projects and chores and checking them off one by one. I like to use this cultural heritage bent as an illustration to focus on a certain type of behavior. In the area of leadership, it would be called a task-oriented style of leadership. In the psychological realm, it would be termed obsessive-compulsive. People, opportunities, or interruptions. I've devised a simple test to discover whether a person is task-oriented or people-oriented. It's unscientific, but completely reliable. When someone walks into your office, or wherever you happen to work, and interrupts your task at hand for the sake of conversation, how do you react? Do you view that person as an interruption or an opportunity? Does your face brighten as your people antenna powers up? Or do you grimace inside at this interruption? If you relax and converse until the chat has natural closure, you're obviously a people person. But if you press to squirm your way out of the conversation with a bombardment of verbal and nonverbal clues, then you are one of us, the dreadful type A's. If a person's gut-level instinct in that situation is to get back to the task at hand at any cost, it's safe to say and to assume that he or she is task-oriented. Nissan Motors used to have an ad slogan that declared, quote, We are driven, end of quote. Well, task-oriented people are driven. Many leaders I know are so driven that their notebook computers and Blackberries are with them constantly so they don't miss a chance to task in their spare moment. I love that as a verb, to task. Psychologists and psychiatrists call this type of personality type A. Extreme cases of this type of personality might also be known as obsessive-compulsive. Type A personality, also known as the type A behavior pattern, is a set of characteristics that includes being impatient, excessively time-conscious, insecure about one's status, highly competitive, hostile, and aggressive and incapable of relaxation. Type A individuals are often highly achieving workaholics who multitask, drive themselves with deadlines, and are unhappy about the smallest of delays. They have been described as stress junkies. For some reason, the ranks of professional Christian workers, especially pastors and leaders, are flooded with these driven people. It is almost necessary to be a workaholic to make it as a Christian leader.
Unfortunately, many leaders are poor listeners because of this very problem. And it seems that the cumulative effect of all these type A leaders takes a toll on the character and spirit of the church today. We have all witnessed in the media before the eyes of the world the epidemic of Christian leaders crashing and burning in recent years. Do our organizations require too much of us? Are we all destined for type A burnout? Is there too much demand on our leaders and not enough on relationships? I have wondered more and more lately if my own accomplishments are achieving all that much. If you're highly motivated as I am, you love to have hundreds of irons in the fire. And you also might be missing out on one of the greatest adventures of a lifetime, rediscovering people. Sidebar, the maestro and people. Quote, My intention always has been to arrive at human contact without enforcing authority. A musician, after all, is not a military officer. What matters most is human contact. The great mystery of music-making requires real friendship among those who work together. Every member of the orchestra knows I am with him and her in my heart. End of quote. Carlo Maria Gullini, former conductor of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, as quoted in Benis and Nanus Leaders. Sidebar, Henry Nouwen, Out of Solitude. Interruptions are our work. Quote, a few years ago, I met an old professor at the University of Notre Dame. Looking back on his long life of teaching, he said with a funny twinkle in his eyes, I have always been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I slowly discovered that my interruptions were my work. This is the great conversion in life, to recognize and believe that the many unexpected events are not just disturbing interruptions of our projects, but the way in which God molds our hearts and prepares us for His return. Henry Nouwen, Out of Solitude. The Tension of Paperwork versus People Work Before I learned better, and I'm still learning, my task-oriented leadership style got me into big trouble as a leader and in serious conflict with my co-workers. The organization and the individuals are not the focus here because the scenario repeated itself constantly in different ways and in many places. Essentially, I ran into conflicts of role expectations, which is one of the greatest sources of conflict between followers and their leaders. The role we see ourselves playing is expressed through our leadership style. It is the dressing of our job, how we appear to others. Sometimes the good we are doing in leadership is totally obscured by a style that alienates our followers. The group I was responsible to lead had absolutely no criticism on the way I performed my tasks. In fact, they would all agree that I produced perfection to a fault. I never failed in doing my job but I did fail in the being aspect. The problem was that they wanted my attention, and I was always too busy to give it to them. I fulfilled my organizational duties, but neglected those intangible duties of people work, just being with people and showing that I care. I viewed my role as a leader primarily as taking care of all of the tasks and paperwork of my job. I was trying to serve my followers by taking care of all of their needs logistically. I solved many of their problems and carried the load of the organizational burden. 
so that they could be free to do their work. But I failed in one great regard, the human element, that subjective person-to-person contact so essential in ministry. Their conclusion, I didn't care about them. And all this time I thought I was doing them a favor by accomplishing all those tasks for their benefit. It's like the father who works hard all his life to buy his children everything, then wakes up one day to hear them tell him, you don't care about me. Does he? Of course. Did I care about the people I worked with? Of course. But I lost the opportunity to lead that group because my style got me into deep trouble. And it got me to thinking about my need for a personal leadership style checkup. Task-oriented leadership. Most successful leaders today tend toward being task-oriented. Even if it's not their nature or personality, it seems the job of the modern-day executive leader demands it. We evaluate people by their accomplishments. Task-oriented people are the ones who are put in charge in the first place. They rise to the top of organizations by virtue of the large volume of tasks they have been able to accomplish. Leaders are expected to produce. Stephen Jobs, the founder of Apple, said that leaders ship. Leadership guru Ken Blanchard says, Good thoughts in your head, not delivered, means squat. And the information revolution creates an ever-growing pile of paperwork that a leader must somehow cope with and control. Whatever happened to the notion that the computer would eliminate paper? Sidebar. People will never care how much you know. Paperwork until they know how much you care. People work. People tend to be either task-oriented or people-oriented. The problem is, we've subtly made task orientation more desirable in our leader selection process. But without a healthy emphasis on people, we're actually accomplishing little. Leadership is essentially a people business. Experts confirm that the most effective leaders spend most of their time being with people and solving people problems. The leadership surveys of Warren Bennis and Burton Annis spell it out in black and white. Quote, What we have found is that the higher the rank, the more interpersonal and human the undertaking. Our top executives spent roughly 90% of their time conserved with the messiness of people problems. That's from Bennis and Annis leaders. The problem of mounting paperwork. We live in an age of ever-increasing complexity. Organizations always evolve into more complex bureaucracies rather than into leaner, more streamlined movements. In the information technology explosion, the leader is bombarded with an increasing barrage of paperwork. Computers have added to the proliferation of materials to write and read. Desktop publishing has given everyone a license to publish anything. The Internet has snowballed our need to read. So how can the busy leader cope? Who is to know what to read anymore? How can anyone even see the people through the piles of paper and technology? These problems alone seem to demand a task-oriented leadership style. Then there's the issue of the type of people attracted to the ministry and selected for leadership in the church. While I was in graduate school at Dallas Seminary, Dr. Paul Meyer of the Meyer-Minrith Clinics was my professor for Christian psychology and personality development. He told us that the psychological testing of all incoming applicants to our school showed that the vast majority of freshmen had type A personalities. In fact, 
a number of them displayed traits of an obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. Why were they the ones applying? And why were they the ones accepted into the graduate school? Because they managed to complete the best applications with the most accomplishments. Are our graduate school applicants today chosen according to who they are or what they have completed? And what comes out at the other end when the seminarian graduates three or four years later? Are our seminaries producing largely task-oriented leaders? How much training and emphasis do our seminaries place on people skills? When I finished seminary, I felt that I knew how to begin to tackle the tasks of my job. In fact, I was quite confident in the skills I had honed in those four intense years. But soon after arriving at my first assignment, I was shocked to learn how weak I was in people work training. Some pastors love the inside joke, quote, I love the ministry, it's the people I can't stand, exclamation mark, end of quote. In my first demanding leadership experience, I found myself scrambling to learn how to relate to boards, committees, chairpersons, families, counselees, people everywhere. It was frustrating trying to sort out the role of pastor, shepherd to the needs of the flock, people work, versus administrator of a large organization, production and paperwork. I felt that I had received next to no training in graduate school in the fine art of nitty-gritty paperwork. Paperwork is increasingly getting out of hand, and many type A's in leadership attempt to manage this seemingly unmanageable task in their own ways, or they ignore the paperwork and are accused of dropping the ball with poor leadership skills, or more common than not, they crash and burn. Not a lovely sight. Meanwhile, the people in the body of Christ continue to hurt, to cry out for the attention of professionals who have little time to touch their wounds. Whatever happened to people work? Jesus was a master of people work, no doubt about it. Not so long ago, I decided to read the four Gospels and underline all the leadership principles I found that Jesus demonstrated. I made an amazing discovery. Jesus spent more time touching people and talking to them than doing any other action. His focus was not on words, it was on compassion. Jesus was not primarily task-oriented, even though he knew he only had a short time to train 12 men to carry on the movement that would change the world. Touching wounds amid the unbearable pressure to perform tasks, that was the model of Jesus. If you stay alert to the two words crowd and multitude in the Gospels, you'll be amazed to see how often the press of crowds smothered him. At the end of one of his busiest days, it is recorded that, quote, When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Luke 4.40 What is leadership all about? People or paper? Obviously, much of our paperwork and production is aimed at helping people. But too often there is little time or energy left for people after the exhausting efforts of accomplishing those tasks. Whether we like to admit it or not, paperwork, deadlines, and crowded calendars often preoccupy us and create a barrier between us and the opportunity for touching people's lives in a transforming way. Sidebar, examples of Jesus' shepherding touch. 
John chapter 10, 14 and 15, he knew them. Luke 4, 40, he touched them. Matthew 15, 30, he healed them. Luke 6, 40, he changed them. John 13, 15 through 17, he mentored them. You're listening to my reading of Chapter 2 of the Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make, Putting Paperwork Before People Work. One of the great mistakes that leaders make, and today we add to that the problem of putting technology before people work. Listen in. Influencing People, a Transformational Issue As I suggested at the beginning of this book, the heart of leadership is influencing others. For the Christian leaders, it is influencing God's people to move towards God's purposes. But isn't one of God's first and greatest purposes the transformation of character? The Apostle Paul, greatest accomplisher of tasks in the early church era, had as his driving passion the transformation of people's lives. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, quote, We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all my energy, which so powerfully works in me. End of quote. That word perfect really means mature in the original Greek language. We don't make perfect people, but we help move them toward maturity. Every person who aspires to be used by God in his service must have as a prime objective the same passion, to see people's lives changed into Christ's likeness. For the Christian leader, his or her greatest impact will be changed lives through personal influence on followers. People change through direct contact. I was reminded of the battle to build relationships late one night at Mount Hermon. For six months, I had been in my doctoral sabbatical program in Southern California, studying with a favorite professor, Bobby Clinton. I had come to his school to sit at his feet, yet we had not managed to carve out even half an hour to get to know each other personally. Our calendars just didn't mesh. As chance would have it, we both ended up at Mount Hermon Conference Center in the coastal mountains of Northern California for a couple of days with that rare commodity known as dead time. We decided to room together and stayed up past midnight one night, taking the time to begin the process of real relationship building. I learned more of value about Bobby Clinton in three hours that night than in all the dozens of hours of classroom lectures and casual contact on campus. How are people changed? How is it that we as leaders can influence others to be more mature? The clearest way to answer these questions is to ask one simple question. As you review your past, what has had the greatest impact on your growth as a leader and as a person? Has it been books, lectures, tapes, sermons, seminars, classroom experiences? Every survey I've ever heard about regarding this question comes back with one resounding answer. A person or a number of key people with whom one has had real-life personal contact has been the primary change agent in the person's life. 
It is always direct contact with the person that has the most powerful impact on our life. Sure, we're influenced by many factors in small ways and at a distance, but the most profound changes in our lives come through people whom we have had coffee with, roomed with, gone to a game with, played with, worshipped with, prayed with. In my office, I have created a little personal hero wall on the side of one of my bookcases. It's sort of a shrine to my mentors. In this space, I have been taping up photos of men and women who have had the greatest impact on my career, people who have profoundly affected my life. It's a growing collection. The older I get, the more I have come to appreciate that I stand on their shoulders in my leadership. Under their photos, I have their name and the years that I connected with them. Every time I look at their faces, they're talking to me, reminding me to live out what I learned from them. Some of them are no longer living, but their impact on me endures. They made time for me. The Bible is full of illustrations of the power of influence modeling, people changing people through personal contact. It's been said that Christian growth is caught, not taught. We see this principle throughout the New Testament. Barnabas mentored Paul into a place of powerful usefulness, and Paul mentored Timothy to take over his own life's work. It is obvious that there was a deep personal relationship, not just casual contact at the office or in the classroom between Paul and Timothy. Regardless of what orientation one has in leadership style, task, or people, effective leaders make room for people. Leaving them out is a big mistake. Sidebar. Which comes first, the person or the task? From Lauren Sani, for 30 years president of the Navigators. This is the question that has caused tension for centuries. Which is right depends on what you're doing. If you're at a party, it's people first. If you're fighting a fire, it's the task first. Psalm 78:72 answers the question like a glittering diamond. Quote, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. The function of a leader is to feed and to guide. End of quote. If you're wired like I am to enjoy working alone and working on tasks, you must reorient yourself to people. People will only be influenced and changed as we allow them into our personal lives. Make room for people. Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, built one of the most successful companies in history because he never allowed the organization to replace people as the number one focus. During one meeting in the early days of IBM, a number of managers were reviewing customer problems with Watson. On the table were eight or ten piles of papers identifying the sources of problems, manufacturing problems, engineering problems, and the like. After much discussion, Watson, a big man, walked slowly to the front of the room and with a flash of his hand, swept the table clean and sent papers flying all over the room. He said, quote, there aren't any categories of problems here. There's just one problem. Some of us aren't paying enough attention to our customers. End of quote. He turned crisply on his heel and walked out, leaving 20 fellows wondering whether or not they still had a job. It doesn't hurt to take a lesson from a successful company. In the calling of leadership, people must take priority over paper and production. Yes, we may tend toward one style because of our personalities, but we cannot use that as an excuse to ignore and avoid people. Final thoughts. 
Bill Clinton won the election for the president in November 1992, largely because people in America wanted change and because his handlers helped him focus. He focused on what people cared about most. In their war room, the governor's key aides put up a huge banner to remind them daily of their target. Quote, it's the economy, stupid. End of quote. I have to remind myself constantly that as a leader, my banner must read, quote, it's the people, stupid, end of quote. If I neglect this advice, I am indeed the stupid one. Someone has said that a man's best friend, aside from the dog, is the wastebasket. How often do I find myself lost in the paperwork and production work of ministry and forget to stay connected to people? My predecessor at World Venture, Dr. Warren Webster, had a slogan on his desk that he lived out, quote, people count, end of quote. He was right, and he left me a hard act to follow. We task-oriented compulsives are fanatics about the future. We live there. I'm always planning and working for goals out there in the distance. My preoccupation is chasing that shooting star, that next great task I want to accomplish. It is hard for me to sit still in the here and now because I have so many irons in the fire for the greater day out there. It is as if a giant magnet is always pulling my attention and energy into the future. But every once in a while, I stop and take time to look back. I ask myself, okay, Hans, if it were all over today, what do you have to show for yourself? If I had no more time left to heap up more accomplishments, would I have been satisfied with what my life turned out to be? My answer is quite sobering. The things I look back on and feel a lasting sense of accomplishment about always have to do with the people I've influenced, people who are different in a positive way because their lives intersected with mine at some point. In rare moments of my life, with not enough frequency, I have allowed others to come into my life and have laid aside my agenda for theirs. When someone comes into my office or interrupts me on the phone, my gut reaction is to see them as an interruption. But during the past decades, I've finally been changing. I am learning to make room for people in my life. When all is said and done, the crowns of my achievements will not be the systems I've managed, the things I've wrote, or the buildings I've built, but the people I have personally, permanently influenced through direct contact. Who knows, maybe someday I will be on someone else's hero wall. Sidebar, how to push aside the paper. Love your wastebasket. Do lunches away from work. Take time off with your co-workers, spouse, children, and friends. Plan getaways with combinations of the above. Pray for people. Exercise with your colleague. Change locations to get out among people. Delegate more. Learn to ransack instead of reading everything. See people as priority one. And manage by wandering around. Sidebar, Threads by James Autry in the book Love and Profit. Sometimes you just connect, like that. No big thing, maybe, but something beyond the unusual business stuff. It comes and goes quickly, so you have to pay attention. A change in the eyes when you ask about the family. A pain flickering behind the statistics about a boy and a girl in school. Or about seeing them every other Sunday. An older guy talks about his bride. A little affection after 25 years. 
A hot-eyed achiever laughs before you want him to. Someone tells about his wife's job or why she quit working to stay home. An old joker needs another laugh on their way to retirement. A woman says she spends a lot of her salary on an au pair, and a good one is hard to find. But worth is because there's nothing more important than the baby. Listen, in every office you hear the threads of love and joy and fear and guilt, the cries for celebration and reassurance. And somehow you know that connecting those threads is what you're supposed to do, and business takes care of itself. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership.